Hey, thanks for joining us. You know, in uh, this message, we talked about the Trinity, and um, that is a complicated theological construct that you could fill probably a hundred libraries with information and books and research and thoughts and commentaries just around the idea of what does it really mean that God exists as one God in three persons. Um, and with that thought in mind, many of the things I've read over the years about people trying to explain the Trinity, the one thing that the, in my opinion, wisest scholars and authors and theologians have always included is this idea of mystery. It, it is a great mystery, and we have to accept that. And so full understanding is um, dangerous to seek, and here's why. Because if you believe that you fully understand the Trinity, then by definition, if it is mystery, you're understanding something other than the fullness of the Trinity. <laughs> because if something is mystery, you can never fully understand it. And so the invitation for us is to say, okay, I will accept it as I understand it, and I will pray and seek God to reveal himself to me in greater, deeper ways, but I'll also accept that every revelation of God is a revelation of himself as Trinity. So by, by asking God to reveal himself more fully, more, more deeply to us, by nature, he has to reveal himself as Trinity. But if we set out to say, I want to understand the theological constructs and doctrine of Trinity, I think we're just going to move to frustration because mystery has to be incorporated in that. And so what I want to do, I want, I want you to, to understand that before I start talking about what I want to talk about. Because what I want to talk about today is what does it mean to live in the Trinity? What does it mean to live in the perfect and beautiful community of God, which is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all one, united, one God, yet separate in three persons? And so the essence of God does not change. God is God. And the essence of Jesus the Son and uh, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit is the same essence as God. And each aspect of that essence that God possesses, uh, the fact that God is love, God is compassion, God is kindness, God is knowledge, God is power, all of those things are part of the essence of the three persons of the Trinity because they are one. Now, for us as people seeking to live in God through Christ, who have Christ in us and who are in Christ, we have to understand this idea of essence, and here's why. The essence of God is the lens through which he deals with us. And so I want to go back to one of our verses from yesterday in Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. It's the baptism of Jesus. I want to start there as we press towards what does it mean to live in the Trinity, knowing that the essence of God is who he is, is how he deals with us. Our interactions with God are interactions with him as he is. We are not constant. We change. We see things differently. We learn. We grow. We, we regress. We understand. Sometimes we don't understand. But here's the point that I want to make in this digging deeper is this. 
our security in God, in the Trinity, through Christ, is not a product of me changing or not changing. It's a product of God being immutable, unchangeable in his essence. So let's go back to Matthew 3, 16 and 17. Listen to this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So here's what we have at that moment. That moment of Jesus' baptism. We have God the Father speaking from heaven. We have God the Spirit descending, landing on Jesus. We have God the Son, Jesus, being baptized. But we also have something else that's transpired there. And that something else that's transpired is this. Jesus has not started his ministry. This is his kind of inauguration, his, his, his um, coming out party as, as God in the flesh, the Messiah. And in that, the Father looks at the Son and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, the reason it matters when we think about God as Trinity and the essence of God, the reason it matters for us in this moment of his baptism is this. God the Father was well pleased with the Son before he had done anything. He hadn't done any ministry yet. He hadn't made himself publicly known as the Messiah. He hadn't healed a person. He hadn't preached a gospel message. He hadn't um, driven out a demon. He hadn't multiplied any food. And yet God the Father looks at him and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now here's why that matters. Because if, as believers, those who trust in Christ, our identity is in Christ, then the essence of God demands that he looks at us and says the same thing. This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Because once we are in Christ, we are in the Trinity, in loving relationship with God, and it is his essence, not our essence or our actions or our failings that make us beloved of him. So God could no lesser love you than he could lesser love Jesus, who is his beloved son, who is the second person of the Trinity. So by being in Christ, we're invited into God. And by being in God, we are now, through the righteousness of Christ, imputed in us his beloved children. And so here's where I want to go with that. I want to take that lens of this is what the Trinity means. This is what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ means to be in God. You go back to John 17. You know, I in them and them in me and us in you and you in them. And so the invitation is to be in God through Christ. So once we are in Christ, then that should shift our filter of how we interact with God, of how we hear His Word, of what we live into, and how we perceive His truth. We should all of a sudden perceive it through the lens of a trinity. And so now I want to go to Colossians 3 just a little bit to help you put the lens of being in Christ, in God, being part of this beautiful community that is God Himself, and lay it over Colossians 3. 
And so what I want to do is I want to read some of these verses with the Trinity as a filter and see if it changes anything for you. So here we go, verse 1 in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So right there, verse 1, Paul tells us, if you have been raised with Christ. Well, what does it mean to be raised with Christ? It means to be in Christ. So if I am in Christ and therefore in the Trinity, been raised with Christ, then I need to be seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So again, there's a picture of the Trinity, the Son next to the Father in union, in oneness. And so here's what we need to understand about being in Christ, being invited into the community of God, I now have the capacity to seek the things that are above instead of my vision being locked down here to the things that are below. And what, what are the things that are above? It's not literally things above. We're not called to constantly be walking around looking at the sky. But because I am in Christ and Christ is in me, and therefore I am in this community of God, I now have the capacity to know that there are things of God, to understand the things of God to some degree, and most importantly, to actually pursue those things over the things that are below, that are down here in this temporal place, this place that will one day pass away. So he goes on in verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. He's reiterating that. If you have been raised with Christ, then you set your mind on the things above. You seek the things that are above. So part of that then becomes, if I am in Christ and Christ is in the Trinity and I'm in this community of God, I now have the capacity, no matter how much I tell myself I don't, I actually have the capacity to seek the things of God. So from a Trinitarian perspective of Colossians 3, 1 and 2, then what does that mean my task is? It means that I now as someone who is in Christ, who is in the community of God, have the capacity to seek the things of God. So shouldn't that be my endeavor? Shouldn't I stop just looking around this world and trying to figure out how I get through the moment or get to the next day or get to retirement or get what I want? And shouldn't I be able at this point then, as one who's in Christ, as one who's in this community of God himself, be able to say, I'm, now I'm going to look for the things that are of God, the things that are from above. That's where I'm going to occupy my mental energy, my time, my efforts. And so what that means then is if I am in Christ, if my identity is in Christ, then I actually have the freedom to not live as if this world is the place that ultimately matters. I can now live as if it's the Trinity that ultimately matters. And so let's go on to verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you've died. We've died to ourselves. We've died to, to this notion and idea of this life is the only life that matters. We've died to the idea of it's all about me. And I need to get what I want and what I think I need. We've died to that. And our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Think about that word, hidden. Hidden means it can't be found. And, and so now we have the mystery of our life hidden with Christ in God, which is part of the mystery of the Trinity. 
It's a mystery that I am in God, in Christ, with Christ, in God. And so that same mystery that is the Trinity now becomes a mystery that's my life. So here's the deal. If I'm in Christ, all of a sudden my life is mysterious. Now think about how that changes your prayer life. If you understand the mystery of the Trinity and you are now in that mystery, maybe one of the things we stop seeking so much is understanding. Maybe our prayer moves from God help me understand to God just have your way with me. Do with me what you will. I don't have to understand it. But because I'm in you, you do with me what you will. And then here's the hopeful part in verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Now I know it's easy to read that verse and think, well, one day we're just going to be glorious. But I think the glory that's going to appear when Christ appears, when we're revealed to him, in him, I think the glory is going to be a glory of knowing. I think at that point we're going to know what it means that God is a trinity. We're going to know what it means for us to be in God as trinity. We're going to know what it means to be in Christ. The glory of that may simply be the glory of being in God. In a way, we've never grasped it or understood it before. It may be a glory that reveals to us the glory of life that we were created to live, that we have some access to now, but we'll have full access to when we are resurrected in body with Christ in God's presence. And so then we get to verse 5 in Colossians 3, and, and Paul gives us a little uh, sample of what life in the Trinity does not include. He doesn't give us a sample of what it does include, but he gives us a sample of what it does not include. And so he goes on in verse 5 and says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And we're back to verse 1, right? Set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above. So because you are seeking the things above, because you are in Christ, because you are now in the Trinity, put to death the things that are earthly. And he goes on and gives the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. Because we're in the Trinity, we no longer need those things. Because we're in Christ, we no longer need those things. Because the very nature of Christ, the nature of God, has been put in us, as Peter says, that we are partakers of the divine nature. Because it's actually been put in us, we no longer need those things. Can I tell you, one of the biggest differences from my own experience in my own life and working with others in spiritual matters is this. The failure to understand my identity in Christ becomes an issue in this way. It becomes an issue in that I begin to think that I need the things of the flesh. These things that Paul talks about, and this isn't a, a comprehensive list, this is a partial list. But we think that we need the things of the flesh. Things that Paul mentions throughout his letters, greed, covetousness, idolatry, sexual immorality, impurity. We think we need those things to be fulfilled in our flesh, in our fleshly life. Now, if I have died and am hidden with Christ, what has actually died? Well, what's, what's died is my sinful nature. 
My sinful nature has no place in the Trinity. Because remember, the Trinity is a perfect and good community of God himself. So the process of living into the Trinity is actually a process called sanctification. It's where all the things that serve my flesh, that my earthly mind tells me I need to live a satisfied and significant and secure and seen life, begin to get peeled away. And so that should be the thing that resonates with us when we think about living in Christ, who is in God as the second person of the Trinity. A Trinitarian life is a life not without sin. We still have sin, but it is a life acknowledging I don't need it. I no longer need it because I am alive in Christ. I am dead outside of him. I am alive in him. And so maybe the first step that we need to take to say, look, if the Trinity is, and it matters, maybe the first step we take is to acknowledge that I don't need those things. Think about how that mindset would impact your life when it comes to things like greed, like addiction, like immorality, like self-preservation, like pride, like idolatry, we begin to come people who can look at those things and go, these things are enticing and they're tempting to me, but I will remember I don't need them. And the glory that's going to be revealed that will be part of my eternal existence is the glory of Christ as perfect. Now remember Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ what does that mean? It means I've accepted him. I said, I want my life to look like your life. You will be my life. Christ who is my life, as Paul says in Colossians 3. I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2, 20. And it's no longer I who live. So what does that mean? It's no longer I who live. No, it's the very life of the Trinity that's in me that I now live. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so because it's Christ who lives in me, all those things that are enticing, that are tempting, we need to start with the baseline of, I don't need those anymore. I'm past that. These things are not my life. And therefore, no part of who I am is fed by these things. And if you have ever, as a believer, sinned, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and here's why. Because after the sin, no matter how enticing it is, but you walk into that sin, what do you always feel right afterwards? You feel uncomfortable. You feel guilt. You feel separation. You feel rejection. And all that is, is the dead man that's in you who was crucified with Christ fighting to come back to life, and you fed him a little bit. Every sin is like doing chest compressions on that old man who's almost dead. And we pump a little bit more life into them. And then we feel the guilt. We feel the shame. We feel the distance. We feel the desire to step away from that. And that desire is rooted in the fact that my life is now hidden in Christ. And I'm trying to live a life I don't have anymore. That's why it's so uncomfortable to sin. I said this one time and I got pushed back, but I'm going to say it again. Feel free to disagree with me. But here's what I believe. I believe it is easier for those who are in Christ to not sin than it is to sin. 
And here's why I say that. Because when I don't sin, I don't have all the residual effect that I have to deal with in my life. When I do sin, it lingers for days. I have to navigate all of those things. All of those things. So many of you know I have a little English bulldog. She's not little anymore. I always want to take her to the lake. But I have never taken her to the lake for two reasons. One, I, she doesn't like water. But two, I know she can't swim. Have you ever seen a bulldog try to swim? They swim like rocks, bloop, straight to the bottom. They don't have any buoyancy. They have too much muscle and not enough fat. Some of us can float. They can't. And watching her try to swim when she was never intended to swim is painful because it's such a struggle for her. Watching a Christian who's in Christ try to sin when they were never intended to sin is painful to watch because it's such a struggle for them. That's what I mean by it's easier to not sin than it is to sin. It's not the act itself that, that's you know, difficult. The act of sin is easy. But when you take the act of sin and you pair it with the consequences in our hearts and our minds, it's ugly, man. It's like watching my little bulldog struggle to try to swim. You're going to sink. But if we have the understanding that if I am in Christ, I'm dead to those things, that I'm living in the Trinity, that Trinitarian life then becomes this. This sin looks enticing, but what is God offering me in community with himself? And I think if you stopped and you asked that question, you'd see that what he's offering you in living in community in, in himself is far better than anything you could get from sin. And you don't have to deal with the residual impact of it. So that's what I mean when I say I think it's easier to not sin than it is to sin. Impulsively, it's easier to sin. But to manage the fallout from sin is way more difficult than to manage the fallout of union with God in a community that's the Trinity. So I hope that's helpful for you. I want to invite you into um, just having some conversation in your group around the idea. Pastor James put a great question in there. What does it mean that the, that the Trinity is a mystery? Well, part of what it means is it's only going to be revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. And so the fact that the Trinity is, and, and we have access to that Trinitarian community, should actually change the way we pray. It should change the way we pray in this sense, that our prayers are rooted in a spirit-guided revelation of God to us, more so than a human-guided request for God to behave the way we would like Him to behave. So I hope that's helpful to you. Hope you have a great time in your groups. Let me pray for you, and then you can go have some great fellowship and discussion. Father, I thank you so much that you have revealed to us the great mystery that is you as Trinity. And Father, I pray that as a church, we become a place where we embrace the mystery of who you are, and in the embracing of that mystery, we find deeper revelation of you. And Father, I thank you for Colossians 3, that you invite us, reveal to us the greatness of the mystery of you as a community of love unto yourself with an invitation for us into it. And so I pray that, that you lead us to a place of being more deeply hidden in Christ so that when the revelation comes of who you are with us in you, 
there is a tremendous amount of glory for your son. And we can be a part of that. We thank you and we praise you for who you are and ask that you would show us more deeply and fully your very nature so that we can relate to you more completely in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks a lot and have a great time in your group.